God, I thank you. I thank you for this body that we build. Blessed and confident. You, you always purpose in the ministry of Jesus. You were about reduction. <clears throat> I'm sorry if there's some that I personally learned in my inadequacy, but the God you were about reducing down Jesus, you were about putting your cost up in front of and, and every time there was a major reduction. That was your way to build your church. And I'm confident you're right here. So I'm confident that you purpose in your heart to do it. I, 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 I'd be pretty comfortable that in saying that all of us are blessed in our life. The way that you're building this body. The way that you've encouraged and allowed us. I looked at it last week. I thank you for that so much. That was a, that was a real proof of character and nature and submission to you and, and what we're about. I thank you for that. That was a, I couldn't be more blessed. What happened in the character and nature that was displayed in my brothers and sisters last week, their heart, their desire to serve you and serve each other. Thank you. I thank you for the safe arrival of faith. The safety of Jesse. I, I, I kept thinking all night, Monday, all morning, this is sitting there and just watch, listening to my daughter go through this tough, tough time. She's crying out to you now. Perhaps you could, that's what life's about now. Perhaps you to be a mother and father. Parents. Toughest journey we can know on. Mm. One that you use to mold us and shape us and sanctify us. Bring us to the place you want us to be. I thank you for that. Thank you for the family. Replicates what we are to be. And I thank you for the new alliance. I for a bunch of babies. God, I want to pray for, for Brother Burton and Sean and Burton and Dad. I want to join with my brother and sisters here and, and lift them up um, to you. you. You talked to us from the first chapter of Corinthians, how, or second, second, first chapter of second Corinthians, how the power, how, how somehow we as we as brothers and sisters joining together and crying out to help in the alleviation of suffering and, and the ministry in the lives of our brothers and sisters. So God, we cry out to you that you would minister to birth. That he would heal your calling on his heart. That he would be, that he would be moved in the depths of his being to to cry out to you to be a dad, to be a husband. As you call him to be, as you have been. This is a blessed thing. It's the hardest thing to do. But it's a blessed time. So God, I ask that you would inspire him to a love that draws man to repentance. But it's a recognition of you that brings salvation. It's an acknowledgement of you as Lord, a submission and surrender to you. So God, I ask you to draw him in that process, draw him out of Egypt. Cause him, cause him to see that, that you desire to bless him in this world, to bring comfort, to bring peace, to bring joy in the midst of difficulty, being a dad, being a husband, being a provider. So God, I ask that you would draw him here, that we could be part of his life, part of his, part of his ministry, his wife and his child. God, I ask that you would give us Give his parents wisdom to speak the truth to his life. Chris, Jamie, and ask you that you would give Shauna a love for, for her husband and father and child and a love that is compassionate and caring and gracious to all that was. Give her wisdom as our help makes we desperately need to listen to their lives. So God, we ask you to give that wisdom. God, we ask you to give us your wisdom today, uh, just to understand the, the worldview and, and perspective of this world and, and what you've done and what the ministry that you brought through Jesus in this world is. We trust you, God, to teach us that so that we have a firm foundation so that all of us can minister to a lost world, a struggling world that 
He causes us to be ambassadors for you, ambassadors for Christ, for Jesus Christ. And God teaches and burdens with what that looks like and what that means and what we're called to. We would see a lost world, a lost world heading for an eternal train wreck, an eternal damnation. It causes us to be burdened greatly by that. And by the, the gospel of peace that you have put before us that we can share. That we're to be about sharing that with this world, the light and the dark world. God, please illuminate your truth to us because we count and are dependent on you and your Holy Spirit. Your help be the Spirit of truth. So God, we trust you. My brothers and sisters here today that you would teach us for your name's sake, for your glory, edify this body. Amen. Second Corinthians. Last week we talked about just as a review um, briefly. Saints called to be saints. That word, and, and I don't want you to lose it because <clears throat> what Paul goes on to talk about is is very different from the worldview that we have. And, and and I don't want you to lose sight of that. And, and the, being called saints is a different worldview than what we as a church say. The word is, is hagios. It's sacred. It's holy. It's the same word that describes the Holy Spirit. Okay? Hagios is the word. That's the word holy. And that's what we are called, to be holy ones. That's a, that's a place that we have been set into. And it's very, very important that we have a proper understanding and worldview. That we have God's perspective of, of, of who we are, what we're called to, and how God sees this world. If we don't, we're in, in desperate trouble. So, <clears throat> I, I ask you to, to allow that to permeate your being because I guarantee that your life has been spent with a misunderstanding. Um, my life was and all of it. But we're sinners, and at best we're we're living in a world, and we're sinners, and we're just going to struggle through it till we die and go to heaven. And, and we, it's very important to understand what we're called to. And the word hagias is, is is a very powerful word, holy, and holy spirit. Spirit means wind. It, it's a, it's kind of a sweet concept, and I would ask you guys that that meditate on that too. It's not where we're going today, but but spirit. The word is, is wind, is blowing through. That's a, that's a kind of a wild concept. That this is a holy, set apart, sacred wind. Uh, and that's how he describes the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, here we are, called to be holy ones. Called to be sacred, called to be set apart. The other, the other aspect that we want to talk about today um, is Paul is, you know, he uses repetition to to describe and to to make it very clear what the what worldview we're supposed to have and what what the worldview truly is, what the true view of the world is. Put it that way. Um, in the first um, eight verses, he uses the word comfort. Um, Ten times he uses the word affliction or suffering eight times. Um, it's pretty repetitive when we read it, and, and it uses it multiple times in each verse. And, and we wonder, okay, comfort in affliction. Um, I think Paul was trying to make a point when he repetitively uses them. He definitely was making a point, and it and he's trying to make clear what our perspective is to be. Okay. Um, contrary to what our American view is, we are to, which would be somewhere along the lines of we are to live our lives as Americans, our manifest destiny is to live our lives blessed, is to live our lives in this world happy, prosperous, um, hedonistic, self-pleasure, insecure, um, and that we'll live our lives through basically as a full meal deal and even dessert. In, in the the future thing. The gospel really is just kind of like whipping cream, you know, and pot, ice cream with your pot, you know. And so we can have all our cake and eat it too. 
And that's really our view as, as Christians, that, 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 as American Christians particularly, okay? Because we have a very different perspective than most Christians in this United States. But here we are. This is the church that we're involved in. This is the body of Christ, what there is of it in this country. And, and our view too often, and the gospel that we project too often, is that, is that we live in a country blessed by God, and so we can live blessed in our lives, and we can be happy, and there will be, and God will take away and eliminate suffering, eliminate struggle, eliminate grief, eliminate poverty, eliminate all the things in our lives so that we can be happy and blessed and, and live our life happy, and then go on in heaven and live life eternally happy. Isn't this a wonderful gospel? Um, I, I'm not a negative guy, but that is not the biblical view. Okay? The biblical view is in this world, as believers, we will share in the sufferings of Christ. In this world, as believers, we will share in the difficult struggles of Jesus Christ. Okay? Well, how come? All the rest, everybody else can live blessed, can live happy, can be, you know, joyous and prosperous and, and, and live out their lives full and we've got to suffer. I mean, who's attracted to this? Let's, let's, Let's be very careful to understand that that first perspective about the rest of the world living itself out that way is a lie. Is a lie. That is a deception. Okay? That is the big deception. Okay? That we are... Go back to, to the start. Okay? Adam and Eve were created by God to live in fellowship with Him. Right? To live in an intimate unbroken relationship and fellowship with them. They walked with God. They talked with God. They had unbroken fellowship. That's what man and woman were created for. To live in that intimate relationship with God. That's what God desired. That's what God made. Them, that, that's what he created in the world. Okay? And that's the existence they lived in. Alright? And then what? And then sin entered the world. Okay? What was sin? You know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard it full and complete. I've heard a lot of partial. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, why did God have to put that there? You know, I mean, people are mad, you know. Why did he do that? Everything was so good and then he put it there. Um, you know, and, and, and then he, say, he makes some wild comment like talking to each other. The Trinity was talking. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit were talking. Go, oh, man. We're in trouble now. Now they're like us. Now they know. Now they understand good and evil like us. And so we're going to have to kick them out of the garden and ban them from knowing the tree of life because they could live eternally in the state that they're doing it. We're all we're kind of scratching our heads going, wow, this is kind of a weird cosmic deal. You know, God puts this big temptation in front of them. How could they resist it? And, and it's his fault. No. No, God created us to live in absolute harmony and intimacy with him. I, I, as best I understand it in my not very smart thinking, the, the Godhead understood the ability to worship God as God or not. To acknowledge God as God or not. Um, the Godhead, they, they are the Godhead. And, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived in what? Jesus still does. lives in complete submission under the authority of who? Under God. Right? And so does the Holy Spirit under God. And it's acknowledging God as God or choosing what? To, to acknowledge ourselves as God. Satan did that, right? Satan made the choice to acknowledge himself as God. This did cause a big problem. Now, this part of the cosmic chest thing, I'm not exactly sure of. But Satan did choose the same way that Adam chose. And this is, this, this caused a catastrophic problem. Sin entering the world caused a huge problem and issue, and Satan being in rebellion and taking a bunch of angels with him to go where? The Bible tells us, the best we can understand, to live here. Okay? To rule here. To be the principality, the primary power and authority of this world. So now, we, as humans, sin entered this world, rebellion towards God, not existing, not acknowledging God for who He is, came. And, and with sin came what? Death. Okay. Let's let's be very clear about it. 
death entered as a result of sin. Okay? In this, in this, outside of restoration with God, death not only meant separation while we were born in the flesh and live in the flesh and then our body dies. Death means eternal, complete separation from God. Okay? So let's, t- let's stand back for a minute and look at the real state of this world outside of relationship with God. You're born in de- to die, and you're going to die eternally. Now, you might stick a pacifier in your mouth for those 50, 60, 80 years that you live here in this world. And the devil, because he is the prince of the power of this world, might bring you comfort and peace and joy and happiness and all these pretense of things as pacifiers in our mouth. But what are we really? We're really the walking dead. We're going to die. We are in separation from God. We can't know communion with God outside of Jesus Christ. We can try all kinds of worship. We can create or try to create our own God. Try to create right living or right standing before our own God. But we're going to die eternally. This is really not a good state of existence. In spite of how we might think I'm happy right now, or if I only had this, I would be happy, or if I only had a little more, I'd be happy, or if I had a little more, I'd be secure, and I wouldn't be struggling, if I only had a little more, if I only had this. In spite of all the things, it's not true. We're in trouble. You're, you're, we are born in separation from God now, the sinners of the human race. So, but God has been in the process since that time in, in Eden. God has been in the process of restoring in making a way to be restored in that relationship with him. Okay? Right from the get-go. Okay? The difference is, in this world, let, let's be very clear, death rules. We're going to be born, and most of us, probably all of us, are going to die. Okay? The, the resurrection might come. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I... Um, see any, you know, I mean, there was a couple people that were, that didn't die. Melchizedek seemed to be, you know, we don't know quite, understand that, but he seemed not to die. But I bet you all the rest of us are going to die. Okay? The bo- in fact, all of us have the effects of the body of sin in our lives, so we're going to die. So, the, that is the state of this world. And that's the effects that we live under. Satan is very good at hiding those, at covering those up. You know, right? I mean, why do we do drugs? Why do we want to get drunk? Why do we want to be euphoric in, in sexual passion? To make the world seem other than what it really is. Right? To hide from it, to run from it. Right? Why do we pursue things that would seem to alleviate the, the struggle in this world, like money, like financial security, like um, control, power. You know, we pursue those things because this world is is actually just the process of dying. Uh, you know, here she is. She's going to grow up, and, but she's heading for death. In 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 the issue, the issue. Okay, the distinction is we're all going to feel the effects of that. The distinction is. Is Satan going to cover that over and pacify it so he can get us to die without a reality and a realization of Jesus Christ and eternally we're damned? That is his purpose and his desire. Okay? Or are we going to struggle in this world like Jesus did? Why did Jesus struggle in this world? Why did he suffer? Because it talks about the suffering of Jesus time and time again. And it talks about us being participants in the suffering of Jesus. What does that mean? Let, if you are a born-again believer, if you are a true believer, okay, you are going to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. The Bible is absolute about that. That's not a, it's not a choice. Well, that doesn't sound very attractive. You know? Why is that? The effects of sin in this world for this period of time we live here are there. Period. The effects of sin in this world are here. When we begin to live in the truth, to walk in the light, Satan is going to come against us. It says our adversary, the devil, is going to come against us. Right? Why did Jesus suffer? Because he didn't manage his life very well. 
you know, maybe he didn't manage his time, maybe he's a procrastinate. No, Jesus did not do it. There was no effects of his suffering that happened because of his failure. Okay? Because we know Jesus didn't fail. We know Jesus suffered. It wasn't that he was bad timing or he was insensitive to people so they hated him. He was non-compassionate towards people so they disliked him. But Jesus suffered. Why did he suffer? And the word suffering, the word suffer is an important one. Let me just read 2 Corinthians and then there's a couple other places that I want to read because the Bible does a pretty good job of describing this. And, and if you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, the word suffering, the word afflicted, though that will be, the, the words themselves, the word afflicted is philipsis. Um, powerful word. I brought the Greek dictionary along because I thought that it would better explain. There's, there's several words for suffering, um, several words for affliction. Um, the word that it used, philipsis, uh, let me just read the definitions of it, okay? In, in, in a verb form, okay, when it's a verb, it, it's actually philebo. To suffer affliction, to be troubled, okay? And it has reference to sufferings due to the pressure of circumstances or the antagonism of persons. Okay? Um, pressed, pressed hard against. Um, both the verb and the noun when used of the present experience of believers, refer almost invariably to that which comes upon them from without. Okay? This isn't talking about you forgot to put deodorant on and people are shunning you and pushing you away and, you know, and, and this is suffering. Sharing the sufferings of Christ. That is not what he's talking about. That's your own problem. You can deal with it. Okay? So, the, the, this is talking about things that you do not deserve. Things pressed upon you from outside. In the, in the noun form, primarily means a pressing, a pressure. Anything which burdens the spirit. It is, it's used of calamities of war. Um, distress is for you. Of the distress, the, the same word is used of the distress of a woman in childbirth. You know that one. Right? You had, you had 12 hours of clarity, you know, in, in what it means, on, on what philipsis means, on what suffering, on what affliction means, on what that word is. It's the same word that's used of distress of a woman. That's nothing that, that Jesse did wrong. That's nothing that was, that was, you know, her fault. That's not something that she deserved. Um, that was something inflicted upon her because and, and truly, of the love of God. I mean, what a sweet thing. That's what the encouragement, I imagine, was, right? Little Peyton Grace is going to be born out of this. Otherwise, forget this. Okay? And, 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 and your steadfastness in, in resisting, wait, drug me, I don't want to feel this. Wait, do something to take this pain away. Wait, get rid of this and stop this thing. Your willingness to go through it was a love for Little Peyton Grace. With a willingness to go through that suffering, not because you were enjoying it or it brought any form of pleasure, but because of its, because of your, you wanted the best for your baby and it was worth it. And you wanted to be aware and alert to stand strong. Pardon me, to act like a man. And act like a man. In any way, because we don't get to do that, I know. But you were strong in that. For Peyton, for someone else. And, and it, that was a pain inflicted upon you for the good of others. Of the afflictions of Christ, for which his followers must not shrink, whether sufferings of body or mind. Corollary words, anguish, burden, distress, persecution, tribulation, trouble. These are the afflictions which we are guaranteed as believers. That doesn't sound very good. That's not what we came to church this morning to hear. We wanted to hear how God is going to bless our lives. Right? How God is going to, on, on the, just as strongly, he makes the point that God is our comforter. Okay? Why do we need a comforter? Again, this is not the can of whipping cream. Or the, or the gallon of ice cream. Okay? 
God is our comforter because we are in, we will have affliction. We will have suffering in this world. And we need to understand it. We need to understand this worldview so we're not mad at God. Or we reject this Christianity. This world is a fallen place in rebellion to God. Okay? Satan has dominion over it. Now he would, he loves to give you ice cream and a pacifier in your mouth. Success. You know, we, we look at the blessings of this country. We look at the prosperity of this country. And it's a very dangerous thing to say this is the blessing of God. Look at where we are. Look, look at where we come. I think we are, at this point, in very tenuous ground on the patience of God, on the long-suffering of God. Um, and and it, it should bring fear in all of us, the state that we live in and the way that we act as a country, because it is not pleasing to God. Okay? We do not. We, this, this blessing that we have in this country, this materialism, it's a very dangerous thing when, when Jesus made the statement, harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than his family to get through the eye of the needle. And we can come up with cutesy little things about we're kneeling down and going through a hole in the wall and all that. That's, I don't think that's true. It has any validity in it. That's not what that means. That meant a camel going through the eye of a needle. Okay? The whole camel. That doesn't work very well. In fact, it was, it, that, what his disciples say? Impossible. Then, that's impossible. You're saying, God, that it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he suggests, outside of God, it is impossible. And that doesn't mean, oh, okay, so it's fine. We can be rich and so we can have Let's, time and time again, Jesus warned against material prosperity and materialism and money. Is money bad? No. Is material blessing bad? No. Material blessing is not bad. Dangerous. Why dangerous? Because it pacifies easily pacifies us, and keeps us from recognizing our necessity of dependency on God. Okay? It keeps us from recognizing the state of this fallen world. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't pray, um, you know, and God, um, please bless my IRA in, in, in my future and give me eternal security in my, in my, um, retirement. Okay? Please protect that. He says, and ask God today for my daily bread. Okay? Why? Because the state of daily recognition of hourly, of momentary recognition of our necessity of dependency is a state that God wants us to be. Does it take poverty to do that? Not necessarily. But wealth is a very dangerous thing. Would our Father really curse us all with that in this country? Do we really look at the prosperity of this country and think, this is a loving father who basically gave ecstasy to all the people here? A false reality, something that they didn't, you know, a pretense that they're happy and that they're content and they're at peace and life is good and they're going to hell? God would want to do that? I don't know that a loving father would want to do that. That would, that would be a, you know, it, it would be no different. It, it is no different. It is no different than what most trust funds do to most people, right? I mean, we, it all sounds good. I mean, I admit, if I had a little trust fund going on, I could be good. I mean, because there's a lot of stress. I don't know how I'm going to make my house payment this week, this month, you know, okay? Much less all the other bills, literally. Yeah, you know, a little... Side thing coming in regularly, stable, that, you know, I could be serving God, right? I could be, I could be hard at serving God because I wouldn't have to worry about those cares of the world. Honestly, I do have an amazing testimony called God. Um, he says he would take care of my needs. He says, and he's proven to be so. And I am content in that. But the concept always seems good. Let me give my kids enough that they have a solid platform that they can build off of, and then, then they won't have to worry about these tedious things in life, and they can move on to higher things. Does it work? I can tell you right now, I'm not sure that there's a valley or a place, maybe on earth, that has more trust funders on some level than this valley. This valley is, is, is full of it, and it attracts each other, because, and, and it's well, potentially well-meaning parents, I'm not saying that. The problem is, it's almost always Almost always that I've seen a curse. 
Right? It's a curse. Because it, it, it demotivates. It takes, it, it takes you from realizing need. It keeps you from being hungry. It keeps you from going after it. You know, hunger is a pretty good thing to make it go work. You know? Is that a boot in the thing? He's not going to come stay with me anymore. We've been hard at it a few years ago. But, it's a good thing. I love working with Cody. It's been a sweet time. So, God would not curse His children with something that would alleviate our necessity, recognition of our necessity of dependency on Him. Okay? So that's a very, it's something to question. I'm not saying God hasn't blessed this country. I think He has. I think He initially blessed and established this country because it was established in guaranteeing freedom for people to worship God. Okay? That's you. And God blessed that. That we were willing to fight for that, that we were willing to, you know, you guaranteed your ability to work. And our government is not going to tell you who you can or can't do, and who you can or can't worship. Um, you need to be free. And we need to educate people so that they can read this. Okay? That's why we did it. That's one of the primary reasons we set up our education system. So people could read this. Why? So you guys weren't dependent on me to tell you things. And you guys could check me and make sure that I was speaking truth. And I, and I wasn't able to control and manipulate a group of people. I'm obviously not very good at it. I'm not very many people hanging around. But I'm, I'm not able to control and manipulate people and keep them, you know, subdued under my hand and under oppression of a church, like has always happened in religion. Instead, we said, no, we want to educate people to read the Word so they know what God says. And they're not dependent on me telling you what God says, but that they can read and hear God firsthand. And, the, you know, and God blessed that. God blessed the, the propagation of the gospel throughout the world through this country. I'm confident of that too. But, but our, our apathy, our wealth, our prosperity has caused us to be apathetic towards the things of God. Has caused us to be non-seeking as we would silver and gold. It causes us to be lazy. It's caused us to be selfish. It's caused us to be hedonistic. It's caused us to be all kinds of things that are very, very displeasing to God. So, here's the deal. When we begin to speak the truth about the potential to have the effects of sin and death alleviated from our lives for eternity, the devil doesn't want any part of it. And he is going to come against us, as he came against Jesus. I'm not sure about the obscurity of Jesus prior to 30 years old. Very little is spoken of him. And I'm not, you know, I don't know what happened. I was thinking about it this morning, you know, how the demonic world and Satan was looking at this, this guy growing up in pursuit of God. You know, what was his life look like? Was it attacked? Was he, was he come after hard? God keeping garden secured. I mean, it could have been like legions of angels hanging around Galilee, you know, like just another, you know, you can't run in. Allowing him to grow and prosper and the things of God. He was tempted. So we know that there was the evil around him. Um, it wasn't that he was alleviated from all evil. He just was submissive to God completely. But once he began the ministry of propagating the truth, once the, 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 because this is, this is the truth in the garden, okay? This is the same thing in, in the garden that God brought. That, that, that there will be somebody who will allow us to, to not have to face the full effects of sin and death in our lives. That somebody will stand in our way and take on the effects of sin and death for us. So that I can be born again as a new creature. Now and forever. That's a profound reality. Okay? That's a profound truth that the devil does not want to get out. Okay? And Jesus began to be attacked. And attacked and attacked and attacked. Attacked primarily by religious people. Oppressed primarily by religious people. Because the devil doesn't want that truth to be out. Okay? That will happen. We will share in the sufferings of Jesus. If you are not sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, you should look around. That, again, that doesn't mean you have deodorant and people don't like you. You, you know, you need deodorant and people don't like you. you know, brush your teeth, take a shower, put deodorant on. After that, that's not the only reason. 
ten husbands. Other than that, we, we can, we need to, we will have the effects of the suffering of Jesus on our lives, or we should question. What do we do with that? Do we run from that? Do we hide from that? Or what is our perspective to be in that struggle? And that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction when the com- with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves. We recognize our necessity of dependency. That's an objective. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. The thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. See what I mean about Paul being repetitive and saying what he's saying? And it's, and it's, it's order to make a very important point here. Comforter. Paraclesis is the word. That's the Greek word for comforters. Paraclesis. It's it's the word we get, you guys have probably heard, parakletos. That's the helper. That's the word for the Holy Spirit. Comes from the same word. Has the same meaning. Okay? Comforter. Helper. We are called to be that. What, what does, what does Jesus say? Okay? Again, I would ask you for a moment to step aside and, and gain, try to gain God's worldview. And I ask you to think about this during the week. What is God's view here? Because the devil would have you believe, okay, we can go suffer in Christ and not do all the things I want to do. I mean, that's what he tells every teenager. You can't kiss girls and you can't have sex and you can't go out and party and you're going to be rejected by your friends or you can go to church. Oh, great choice. You know, and, and that's what the devil tells most teenage kids. Tells us as adults the same thing. But that doesn't look like a very good choice. Why? Why, why would I want to do that? Give up all the things which to me would seem to be fun, pleasurable, enjoyable. For what? For what? And, and the, that is the devil's great deception on our lives. We are, we can, be free from the effects of sin and death in our lives. We can have joy, peace, patience, comfort, contentment, security, in abundance, absolutely, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction. We are going to be, we are not going, you, you cannot get out of this world, die, okay? But, it's really important where you're at when you die. Are you going to die and eternally be separated from God? Or are you going to die and have the have eternal life? That's what happens now. Are you going to participate in eternal life in this world? That will mean sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Why? Because we earn our salvation. It has nothing to do with earning your salvation. Okay? Death is an absolute. Okay? We can either die... Spiritual death, dying to ourselves, 
This is an absolute fact that's going to happen. What do I do? I can either die, be baptized into the death of Jesus, okay, and be resurrected to new life, beginning now, in this life, lasting for eternity. Or I can remain dead in my trespasses and sin, in my rebellion towards God, and eternally be dead. That's our choices. That's the only two choices. It's not have fun or not have fun. It's not have fun or seek God. How boring. That's not what it is. I can either remain dead now and for eternity, or I can be resurrected to new life with the resurrection power. Let me read a couple of other passages because they'll say it clearer than I do. Just just over a little bit in, in 4.10. Again, you can listen or follow along. Whichever way you can really try to focus on what's being said here. Okay? In, in chapter 4 uh, of Second Corinthians, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we are, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, who remain living in death. And I added that. In whose case, in whose case, the God of this world, say, that fallen angel, that angel that said, I will be God, that, that angel that ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that says, I can serve God or I cannot serve God, rather than Adam and Eve, who lived in a state of knowing nothing but obedience and submission to God. Not because they were robots, but because their eyes were focused on God. And they recognized he was worthy to be served. And then they came to the point of going, oh, I can make this choice to not serve God. And things went really bad. Same thing with Satan. He did it, okay? In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember the deception of what this world looks like. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You guys get that? Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Remember in Romans chapter 6, it says, if you are buried, if you are baptized into the death of Jesus, if you are buried with him, that same resurrection power which raised him from the dead will now be at work in our lives. That's the reality of it. Philippians. Philippians, uh, I don't know, in chapter 3, um, maybe, let's start with verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's talking about Persecution, being persecuted. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had a right perspective of this world. Okay? 
all the things that could be gained in this world. And he was a very, very religious man, even looking, looking even for spiritual things. He says, but, but I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That's what the Christian life looks like. Paul says, everything, nothing matters except that I may know him, know Jesus in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Go on here and read, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also laid hold of, what I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, as having become perfected. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as are perfect or are mature, have this attitude. And if anything you have, and if in, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, this is a very important verse, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. That, that is where having a right view of the gospel is so important. Are we sinners? Or are we sinners? What is the effective reality of the power of Jesus, of the power of the resurrection in our lives? That's the standard that we need to understand. That's the standard that we need to live to. Let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Okay? We have been called, we have been set free. That's a very important understanding and I will Probably always continue to say it because I don't think you can be said enough. No, I always continue to say it. It's maybe every time that that the gospel is so pertinent in our lives now. It is a standard that we need to understand. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, and we can live in it. And this is a very, very important truth. What is our view? What is our world view? Oh, I have to give up all my fun and just go serve Jesus so I earn my way and someday God will say, okay, you've scaled balance, you can go to heaven. That's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? That is not how it looks. That is not the world view. Okay? The world view is that I have to participate in death. Okay? I will go through the struggle of death. I will go through the suffering of Jesus Christ in this life. Now, in that, in that, will I truly know joy, peace, the effects of having the comforter on my side? Yes. One more. Colossians. Colossians. Verse 9, let's go. Okay? One. Sorry. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we should all be praying for each other. Okay? That we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining 
of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. That's a mouthful. I would encourage you to go back and read it because there's a whole lot of truth. For he delivered us, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a, that's a big description of Jesus. Okay? He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was his Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Remember the garden? Okay? This is Father's will to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things on heaven. And although you were formerly, the way you were born in this world, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now, he's talking about saints, remember, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, okay, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, indeed, you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, this is Paul, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I do not, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul rejoices in his sufferings. Why did Paul rejoice in his sufferings? Okay. Remember that the end, we said that we are to be alert, we're to stand firm in the faith, we're to act like men, and we're to be strong, and let everything you do be done in love. Okay. Let everything you do be done in love. That includes sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He's very clear in the first part of, of Corinthians that the reason, or sec, of Second Corinthians in chapter one, that the, what does he say here? But if we are afflicted, if we suffer, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. God says that we are now a body. We are, we are, we are a body. And the reason that I share in the sufferings of Christ, he says, so that I can, he says, and, and who comforts us with all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I, there's a lot of comforts and a lot of afflictions, and I realize. In, in the first reading, you go, my gosh, can't you just say it clearly? He says it continuously and repetitively for the purpose of making a point. Okay? I am supposed to, God allows me in this world to be tempted, to be buffeted, to be accused, to have Satan and all his attacks and his strength come against me. Why? Why does he do that? So that he can comfort me. So that he can empower me. Why does he do that? So that I can share that comfort with you. And you know what? He does the same thing for you. He allows you to experience the comfort of God so that we can participate in that. Because the truth is, we're going to be afflicted. Okay? If we are believers, if we are born again, 
We're going to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That's an absolute. You want to avoid that? Pardon me, you can go to hell. That's not said like it is, but that's the result. Okay? If we want to avoid death, if we want to avoid the sufferings of Jesus, we have that choice to try to do that in this life. Just like you have the choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it's not going to go well. So the truth is, as believers, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're all, we're all to come in here beat up? No. Does that mean that we live our lives beat up because of the sufferings and the persecutions and the afflictions? No. It means that we can know joy and peace. It means that comforter is somebody who comes alongside. Again, parakletos is, is the word for the Holy Spirit. One who comes alongside. Helper. Okay? It's the same thing with us. That we are called to do that in each other's lives. That we are called to, to be comforted by God. How are we comforted by God if we're in the middle of suffering afflictions? We're not going to be comforted. We're not going to know that comfort. So that we can share with that in each other, with each other, in living our lives. That, that, that doesn't sound very good. You know, that sounds really good. Because the truth is, that this world is, is death. We're born under the bondage of sin and death. And there's only one way out of it. We can be comforted in this world through Jesus Christ. We can have joy. We can have peace in the midst of this world until we go to heaven and we're eliminated from that. We're alleviated from all sin, from the effects of sin when we spend time with Jesus in heaven. In this world, we'll still have the effects of sin in this world and live in the effects of sin and live under Satan who is still let loose on this world. There's a point where he will be cast into the pit, into the pit, whatever that means. But he will be cast into the pit, away where he is no longer able to affect us. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Most will go with him there. Most will remain with him permanently. That's a, that's a terrible state of existence. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that we all need a better view. Or, put this way, a more realistically realistic view of eternal damnation and separation from God. Because we need to have a burden for the lost. What does it mean to be lost? Well, you drink a few too many beers and have a hangover. You're lost. Are you going to have an eternal separation from God? And we need to have that burden burn in our souls. So that we care. We care when we live there. We care about people who don't know God. Because that's the truth of this world. Is the effects of sin and death are at work. Okay? We are going to live. The distinction is that we can be comforted in those. We can have joy. We can have peace. We can have security. We can have, we can have the reality of the effects of the relationship with God in our lives in this world. That's a sweet thing. And eternally, we can be in eternal relationship with God, outside of condemnation and the effects of sin. We need to have that burden on other people who don't know, or other people who don't know that. So that we look at people who don't know God and we're truly burdened. We look at people that are deceived, because in our country, most are deceived. They've heard of God, they've heard of Yahweh, they've heard of the Bible, they've heard of Jesus Christ. They're greatly deceived. And it's not relative. There's one way to have a relationship and appropriate the truth of the gospel. One way. That's death. That's being baptized in to the death of Jesus. That's participating in the death of Jesus. That's participating in putting to death self. And if you find that pleasurable, you're not doing it. Okay? Because death is never pleasurable. Death is always dying to myself, putting others first, caring about others more than myself, caring about the well-being of others. Is always. Is there joy in that? Is there comfort in that? Is there peace in that? Yes. In this world, we can know those things. We can absolutely live in the glory of a relationship with God in the midst of this world, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of persecution by the devil, 
And we should, that's a fantastic truth, you guys. If you don't know that, let's be about it. You know, that's what it's about, living that reality of life in the midst of it. In the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this world which condemns and has the effect of sin in it. And, it, and, and on, on top of that, it's not, it's not okay just to avoid thinking about the result of not knowing God. Because we should, we should truly care about those who don't know God. And the long term, eternal effect that's going to have on their life. And the current effect that it is too. And we should care and want to tell them the truth and share the light in our lives. That we can share, we should share the comfort that we've been given in our affliction and be able to share that with others. So, it is good news. It's the gospel of peace. It's security, it's satisfaction, it's contentment, it's fulfillment. It's all the things that we all long for. Um, but it will come in the midst of suffering. Okay? It will come in the midst of opposition. That's okay. What does that mean? That means that we are to be bound together and comforting each other in the middle of that fight. That is why the body is so critical. That is why the intimacy of the body and time spent with the body is so critical. Because if we're truly about it, we're going to get our families beat on. Okay? We're going to get beat on. We're going to get beat up. And if we are not about an intimate where we can encourage each other, where we can hand back that comfort that God gives us individually to each other, we're going to be beat up. We're going to be pounded down. And that's the state that most even believers, even true believers live in because of the lack of intimacy of the body. That's why God says so much we are to be together so that we can share that comfort with each other and minister to each other in that. God, I thank you for designing us as a family. I thank you for not saying, yes, you're just about it and go be off by yourself. I thank you that you called us to be a body. I thank you you called us to have intimate relationships and you provided for that. You provided for that. The whole issue of, of communion is, is a celebration with the unity and the intimacy that we have with each other is because of you, Jesus. And your provision. And your blood and your forgiveness. And the comfort that we have in our affliction. Yes, we will have the effects of death in our lives. Yes, in this world, rebellion to you, we will suffer those effects coming back at us from those who are lost. But we can be comforted. We can, not just by your Holy Spirit, but by each other. That we can have peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment, which is what we really want. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you didn't just leave us in this world to, to save be a masochist. Somehow, have that be a value. That even though our bodies may experience suffering, even though our minds, even our spirits may have become against the struggle. God, you promised comfort. You promised peace. You promised joy. And it's true. The joy that we have from you is our strength. In the midst of whatever. We're not dictated or determined by our circumstances. But we, are, we can live in joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment inspired. And this is, this is short. This is a short time. And soon we will be without that. And it God, I ask you to cause us to have a burden for the lost. Cause us to remember that this is not a political, politically correct, tolerant world that says there are no lost. There are lost. And God, I ask you to give us a burden for the lost. For those who don't know you. For those who don't have a relationship with you. Because it's not just about struggling in this world now. It's about struggling eternally. It's about eternal damnation and separation from you. And God, I ask you to please burden us with the reality of that distinction. That's everything. So that we can feel a burden for the lost. That it's not just okay for us to go through the world and not 
have compassion for the lost. I thank you for being our Redeemer. I thank you that from day one in the garden, you began your process of redemption. You began your promise of redemption. You began your faithfulness in redemption. You have never just turned away, but you have always sought to redeem us to an intimate relationship like you have in that garden of truth. Like you have with Jesus. And you long for us all to have that relationship like Jesus had walking on this earth with you. And I thank you for that. Jesus, I thank you. That you can come in your authority, in your power, in your work, in your pain, in your propitiation, your fulfillment. All the things necessary for us to have a right relationship with God. And I thank you. I thank you that you can allow us to avoid eternal death by submission, by acknowledging you as Lord, by dying to ourselves and living to you. God bless my brothers and sisters. Cause them not to be burdened by man, holy negative. God, I ask you to enlighten and see the positive. This is all about the gospel of peace, peace with you. That we can have peace with you, a relationship not based on our merit and our good works, but based on your grace, based on your unmerited favor towards us. I thank you for that, God, that we can live fulfilled and complete lives in peace and joy because of you. Truly, in peace and joy, not pacified, not falsely, but in reality. Knit us together, God. Cause us to be your body. Cause us to be you, Jesus Christ, on this earth. To this world. To this community. To this valley. Cause us to realize that you want to form us into representation of Jesus in this valley. Cause us to realize the urgency of calling us to be there. Amen. Yeah.